Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Great job, Scott. Thank you so much. Uh, a little bit over here. Yeah, so I can see everybody. All right. Sweet. Y'all, it is Sunday. Hey. Um, who was here on Wednesday? It was bananas in this place. Um, I People were saying, like, it's Wednesday and I can't wait till Sunday because it was just so good. It was so, so good. Um, and as we know, the Holy Spirit works in very mysterious and crazy ways. And I love the scripture that Scott just shared from. And if you're taking notes today, you're going to want to scribble this down. My title is actually Temple Talk this morning because we're going to be talking about some temple stuff. So thank you, Scott, for um, just listening to the Holy Spirit and starting us off there. Um, I am very excited for next week for our our first fruits offering. I don't like giving my money away. <laughs> uh, anybody else in here Dutch? Yeah? 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 Okay, so I, one of the, the greatest things that the Lord has like really stirred up in me and grown in me is generosity. And I work hard for my money, and I don't like watching this stuff go away. But the Lord has challenged me so much in where I'm putting that money and how much more he can do with it than I ever possibly could, no matter how much I gave away or tried to put into the stock market and double and double and then give that away to somebody. He can do so much more with that than we could ever imagine. And I tell you, next week, I'm very excited to uh, send that Venmo in. Um, even if it makes me uncomfortable, I'm excited to do it because I know, I know, I know that God is going to bless that. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Okay. So the more you talk back this morning, the faster I'll preach and the quicker you can get to lunch. Does that sound good? Yeah? <laughs> now, Zach wants to stay here. He actually asked if he could live here for a minute when he didn't have a home. He wanted to stay up there, which is, I get, I understand that. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool up in here. Um, I just have to say that I am so thankful for the leadership that we have at this church. The leadership at this church loves this church. And, you know, normal people, when they daydream, they daydream about getting a hot tub, or what they'd do with their money if they won the lotto. And I tell you what, our pastor Matt daydreams about the will of God. That, that and being Spider-Man, but mostly the will of God. And to have a leader that chases the heart of God and perpetuates that vision in his people, can we all just clap our hands for that this morning? We're clapping our hands for God, but we're clapping our hands because of the faithfulness that it takes to lead in that way. So God bless you. We love you. And we're grateful to be doing this thing. Um, next weekend, we are going to have a party to end our fasting. Woo! Yeah, yeah! And we are going to roll into next month, which is actually our birthday. Takeover turns four years old next month. So we are so so excited for that. All right, everybody knows that when I say, do you hear me? You say, there we go. Very, very good. Okay, so before I kick this thing off, on the count of three, we're going to make one more holy heavenly noise to make sure everybody's awake, okay? On three. One, two, three. 
All right, that's good. We got a Cardi B over here. I heard some, uh, uh, that's right. All right, so let me find my place. Like I said, this morning, my message is called Temple Talk. And if you know anything about me, I love history. So we're going to be talking about history this morning. Don't worry, I have visuals for you visual learners. And um, you're just going to want to scratch this stuff down because we're going to be flying through a lot. We're going to grip, we're going to rip, and it's going to be amazing. Can I get an amen? All right. So as I was, as we've been digging into this series, which has been amazing, by the way, Matt is always, he knows that my preaching is coming up, and he's just like, so what are you thinking? How are you going to tie your message in? What are you going to preach about? I have no idea. Like, I never know. I might get, like, an inkling, and I thought I was going to be talking about, like, whaling, like, from back in the day, like the 1800s. Not talking about that. And the Lord just keeps revealing. He just keeps revealing. Like, that's how he works with me. And I am just so excited that this series that we've been doing with the new wine and the fresh oil and the old fire has just been crazy. Every single message has just been so timely and so transformative. Like, we are hungry. We are hungry, hungry people. And these have been like full course meals. Amen? Amen. All right. So we've learned that we, we got a crush to gush from our, our wine series. We were born to burn and that we have to be a generation of those who are holy, seeking holy desperation when it comes to God. And if you were here on Wednesday, that is exactly what was happening in this place. There was a sense of holy desperation of God, of God being sought after by his people, and it was insane. We've got one more night coming up this Wednesday. You do not want to miss it. Yeah, we can make some noise for that. Let's come on. Come on. All right. So when I, like I said, when I was preparing um, and we were talking about the new wine and the fresh oil and the old fire, I was thinking about how these are all sacrificial elements. These are all sacrificial elements that would be used in some aspect of ceremony in the original tabernacle of Moses and the temple that Scott actually just talked about. So as I was praying about this and I was, I was thinking, am I going to preach about this? And the Lord just told me I'm going to preach about the temple. So this morning we're going to be talking about the tabernacle and the temple, and it's going to be real good. We're going to be coming out of Exodus and Leviticus. Don't freak out. I'm going to make it interesting. It's, you're going to hang in, okay? Do you hear me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So initially I was thinking that I would have to go back to Moses in the first tabernacle. And then I realized that I had to go back even further than that to the beginning of time. So say it with me. In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything in the earth was created by God to recognize him as in his authority and his power and his holiness and in turn to worship him. So when we're talking about the beginning of time, we're talking about creation, we are talking about the original temple. The earth was created to worship the Lord. And it says in Isaiah 55, you will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song. The trees of the field will clap their hands. I have not seen that yet. But it, this creation was designed to worship the Lord. And the temple is a place where God and man, if, if, if that is the original temple, if that's what God intended, that everything would be worshipful of his nature, then the earth was that. 
But if we're talking about the temple as a place for man and God to come together, then really the first temple ever would be Eden. Right? You following me? So Eden was this garden where heaven and earth overlapped and God could be with man in relationship, in communion. That was the first temple ever, was the Garden of Eden. God saw it, and he said it was good. As we know, failure came in, dismantling the temple, or at least expelling God's people from that temple and from his presence. Adam and Eve, they took it upon themselves to take from the tree of knowledge, thinking that they knew better than God, that they knew more than God, and in this way, they fail miserably. So to recap, the temple is creation created by God as a beautiful throne for him to be enthroned upon. Then the temple, including man, was that of Eden, where humans and God can come together in peace. No sacrifices were required, just perfect, unadulterated unity. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Then, however, there was sin. And sin changes everything, as we know. Sin creates the requirement for atonement. Sin requires sacrifice. You hear me this morning? That's good. That's good. Uh, for us to be made right with God, there is an requirement for an offering. We're going to be talk we've just talked about our first fruits offering. We're going to be talking about a lot of offerings this morning. The general offerings that are talked about in the Bible are burnt offerings, grain offerings, liquid offerings, and all of these things can be summed up as sacrifices before the Lord. What was once available to us without cost, being in a relationship without, with God, now required something for us to be able to step into that place of rightness to be again in relationship with him. Yes. What am I doing? What's it doing? Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Couldn't talk through my hand. Got it. Um, now, it's important to note that sacrifices were happening before there was a tabernacle, before there was a temple, right? We see sacrifices happening in the Bible all the time. Generally, it's when God does something significant, something massive, and that people's response is to honor him, is to devote something to him, is to give them his, the, his, their firsts, right? So before there's even a tabernacle, before there's a temple, there are people who are sacrificing in the earth, showing God their devotion and giving him the glory. Now, before we move on to talking about the tabernacle and about the temple, it is important to talk about one extremely significant place and sacrifice that foreshadowed the sacrifice that would change all of our lives forever. On top of a mount, mountain called Mount Moriah, there was this great big flat stone. And Abraham was actually called up there to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac. And if you know anything about Abraham, he was promised that he would have a son, that he'd be the father of many nations. And he, then he got really old. He got real, real old. I mean, like, dusty, dusty old. He was like, what was he, mom, like 190, something like that? So not a very fruitful age for most people, 90. His wife was pretty old, too. Uh, and then he has a son, Isaac, just like God promised. And then it gets to a point where God knows Abraham's heart, but needs to know his devotion to the Lord. And he tells him, I need you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. So he goes up to this mountain. There's this big flat stone there, and he's about to sacrifice his son. And God says, I understand the faithfulness of your heart. 
I don't actually want you to sacrifice your son. And a, there's a ram in the thicket, takes Isaac's place. But that place is still important. So he sacrificed that ram. That place was like, it was holy ground before the Lord. He, he had saved his son. He'd given him the son in the first place. He'd saved his son. And that stone would be significant forever. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Um, asking for your one and only son to be sacrificed for atonement of sin is a theme, obviously, that we will see again. And ultimately completed by the one perfect Jesus. So if you go back to... Um, well, if we skip forward a little bit to where the Israelites are being led out of slavery, um, we see the first iteration of the physical temple, the tabernacle of Moses. And you can throw that slide up there. Um, I got a cool 3D rendering for you guys. Uh, the tabernacle was a mobile temple built to the measurements and specific specifications. That is, come on, y'all. Look how cute she is. She's sitting like a little donkey. Oh, I love her. That's Scup, if you haven't met her yet. Um, now throw that tabernacle up there. Thank you. Jeez, we're kind of trying to come into the presence of the Lord this morning. You're throwing me off. No, I'm kidding. I love that. I could look at pictures of Scup all day. So anyways, this was a tabernacle. It was a mobile ten temple that was built to the measurements and material specifications given to Moses by God when he handed off the Ten Commandments. He told them exactly how, much, how big it was supposed to be, what it was going to be made out of, how they were supposed to build it so that it could be carried through the wilderness because y'all know they were stiff-necked people and they were lost in the wilderness for 40 years. And they had to lug this big thing with them wherever they went because this was where the presence of the Lord would sit among his people. The tent would be erected in the very middle of the encampment. As you can see, it's kind of in the middle. You can see some stuff in, like, in the far off in the distance. Those are the rest of the tribes. So the encampment or the presence of the Lord, would be at the very, very center of their whole hangout. And, all, and the north, south, east, and west would be all the rest of the tribes. You hear me? And the Levitical priests were the only tribe of the twelve that ministered to and took care of the tabernacle. And the priests had to, had to follow a very strict set of rules. I'm not going to get into all that stuff. Trust me, you will fall asleep. But if you have time, go back and read Exodus and Leviticus because it is absolutely fascinating. Nothing is without meaning. The Lord is so specific and meaningful with every single thing that he does. Um, but the rules were very strict from how they dressed to how they ate, right down to how they cleansed themselves. Um, they, it was a very, very strict set of rules. Like I said before, the tabernacle was a place where offerings were to be made to the Lord. The priests represented Israel. They stood in the place of Israel. They would communicate with and minister to God, as well as perform specific rites to atone for and cleanse from sin. So if you want to write this down, there are five major offerings in the Bible. There's burnt offerings, uh, the killing of an animal or shedding of its blood, where the entire animal will be completely consumed by fire, indicating complete surrender and devotion to the Lord. Grain offerings, no shedding of blood was required. This generally consisted of grain, wine, oil. This was, in a way, a first fruits offering given completely on to God. Then there's a peace offering, which this offering is cool because um, the priests were allowed to consume this offering. And it was actually indicative of fellowship and communion, not just with each other, but with them and the Lord. 
Then there was a sin offering, which was the shedding of blood as a payment for unintentional sin and purification before the Lord, and guilt offering, which was the shedding of blood as payment for, un, for intentional sins. So there's five of them. Did you get those? Burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, guilt offering. And all of these offerings would be made by the priests on behalf of an individual or on behalf of an, a community out of a desire to restore themselves to a right place a sinless standing before God. You hear me? <laughs> the idea was that they might have their sins cleansed away through sacrifice to be worthy of having the one true God live among them. In Exodus 29:45, it says, and it will live among the people of Israel and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord, their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so I could live among them. I am the Lord, their God. So the, I'm going to just take you through what the tabernacle looked like. I'm going to take you through what the temple looked like. I've got more visuals. So this is the next one. I'm watching now. Tricky, tricky. Okay, so this had three parts. The, order, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And you can see this outer court is this big, white, kind of fenced-in situation here. This second box is the holy place, and this third one, where the Ark of the Covenant sits, is the Holy of Holies. And I just love these visuals. Can I get an amen for visuals? Amen, y'all. When we look back at the, the Garden of Eden, and sorry, I keep grabbing the bottom of the mic. Um, Adam and Eve's having to leave the garden. When they left, remember, because they were cast out of the garden, and there was actually cherubim, there was angels that were guarding as they left so that they could not come back, right? So when they left, the garden was sitting in the west, and they traveled east, out between the cherubim, never to return. So this was, this was set up in the very same way, where the Holy of Holies was to the west, and the opening over here was actually to the east. So they would have traveled from Eden out, of the garden. So when the priests come back into the presence of God, they are retracing the steps of Adam and Eve to return to the presence of God. You hear me? Okay. So the priests were working in a way to, as Matt likes to say, reverse the curse. Yeah? They are literally walking back the steps of Adam and Eve back into the presence of God. Entering from the outer court was considered leaving the sinful world behind. They would, they would come into the court, and they would begin the cleansing process of leaving the outer world behind. It would be a, a, a cleansing process that was both physical and spiritual. So you have here the altar of sacrifice, where offerings were burned, and the aroma of the burning would waft up to God and be a pleasing aroma. That's what that smoky situation is right there. Right here we have... This was often called the Brazen Sea, and it was this large basin, I believe it was made out of copper, um, that the priests would wash their hands, start cleansing themselves, wash their feet before entering the holy place. When you get to the temple, this thing is crazy big, and they would use it for a lot of other stuff because with the whole ritual thing, there's a lot of blood. There's like a lot of flicking of the blood in the wiping of the blood and the dunking of the blood. So there's a lot of blood everywhere. So pretty much this basin and the water inside of it was used to cleanse all of that away at the end of the day. So that the very next day, they can start fresh, new, clean, good to go. So 
the priests would start by getting themselves cleaned up, and then they would enter the holy place, which is this, which is this first boxed-in situation there. So uh, the holy place was actually entering the tent. So they had just entered a boundary, so now they're actually entering the tent. They're beginning their, their journey to the presence of God. So we have another slide here, and this one is a mite bit confusing, but you hang in, uh, and I'll explain it to you. In the foreground, we have the tabernacle. So here we have the tabernacle, and then behind it, we have what would be the temple, actually, that Scott was just talking about during offering. David designed it, but his son Solomon was the one who actually built it. So this is what the temple would come to look like. You can see the similarities, but you can also see this thing was huge, and also it's covered in gold. Um, so you can see the similarities, but you can definitely see like how it escalated to become this massive permanent temple. And if we go back to when I mentioned Abraham and Isaac and that giant stone that was on the top of Mount Moriah, Solomon was actually led by the Lord to build that temple over that same stone. So nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Once the ground was holy and consecrated, it remains holy. That temple was built on that same exact spot where that sacrifice was made years and years and years before. Now, when a priest would enter the holy place, there's a couple different things that are happening in here. Um, I'm going to show you, you can kind of see it's a smaller scale in the tabernacle. We're going to switch over to what it looks like in the temple. So if you want to go to that next slide. Um, this was a room, it would be filled with menorahs. There's a table of the bread of the presence, which is this guy. It's got these like pita looking situations on there. Um, and this would be where, and, and that's wine in the center. And this is where the priests would actually take communion every single day. Um, and as they moved past the menorahs, as they moved past that table, the presence of, the, of bread, they would come to the next slide, which is at the entrance before they would enter the Holy of Holies. And this was the altar of burning incense. And this would have to be kept burning 24-7 all the time. Same with the menorahs. The lights could never, ever go out. So the priests were continually ministering to make sure that the, the temple and the tabernacle were, were doing exactly what the Lord had intended. Now, when I said that the first temple was Eden, remember? Y'all remember that? Um, it was kind of like a prototype for the tabernacle and the temple that would follow. And you can kind of see the representation in the building. I have another slide. Oh. Well, that, there's the incense, and then one more slide. Okay, so this is what the inside of the temple looked like. Obviously, this is not exact, but this is what someone kind of like put this thing together, which is pretty dope. Um, but the whole inside was covered in gold, and it was crazy. But you can see elements of the Garden of Eden in this place. There are palm trees that are like heavy with fruit. There's cherubim. There's these open flowers that would have been witnessed and seen in the garden. There's animals etched into the gold. The menorah itself was said to represent the tree of knowledge. Like, there is an exact replication that is happening here in, in the embodiment and the symbolism of what Eden was and what the temple had to look like and needed to be for God's presence to be enthroned there. You hear me? So... I have often, one of the things that I've always struggled with is like, I've always read Exodus and Leviticus and been like, whoa, 
doesn't the Lord want us to like not be material and like this place is covered in gold and there's all these precious stones that the priests had to wear and all the things. And as I was going through this and I was watching some of these videos of what the they actually looked like back in the day, it just reminds me that um, Eden was the original temple. That was the temple that God wanted. And that was the temple that we rejected. He wanted a temple that was just his creation. It was beautiful in its naturalness and holy in its design because it was something that he designed. He wanted it to look that way. So in turn, when he was telling Solomon and David what this temple was going to look like, he didn't make it so that he would understand it was a holy place. He made it to look like we would understand it was a holy place. So what, what do you think of when you think of, oh, a temple? It's shiny, right? It's big. It's elaborate. Was anybody raised Catholic? Yeah, baby. Catholic Church? Fancy. Fancy. You've got paintings. You've got stained glass windows. You've got all the things. And just like this temple, that's what God knew that we would understand as, oh, this is where, this is where a God would be enthroned in a place like this. For God, it was always a garden. That's God's intention. But this is what he knew we would understand. Amen? I just love that juxtaposition. I personally love that. I'm just like, whoa. The lengths that God would go for us to get it. To get it. To get his holiness and to, and to try to understand his intention and his desire for us. It's just so good. Okay, so the last room that, yes, here we go. So the last room was the Holy of Holies. And this one's really crazy. It's got two huge cherubim. Their wings would span the entire length of the room. And in between their wings would rest the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody's seen Indiana Jones, right? We all know what happens if you're a Nazi and you open that thing, right? Face melt off, eyes fall out, flames. We all, no, I'm kidding. Obviously, that's just a movie. Who knows? I've never opened the Ark of the Covenant. That could happen. I have no idea. Um, but this is what that looked like, or could have looked like. And the Ark was this kind of case situation that was covered in gold and had two big staff thingies that went off from the side so that they could carry it, so that it could be moved. It would be mobile. And the, the lid would come off, and inside would be the flowering um, staff of Moses, a vessel of manna, which was the bread that fell from heaven and fed the Jews on their way out of Egypt, and the two tablets that had been recorded, the Ten Commandments. So those were inside, and again, this room was called the Holy of Holies. And when that, when that ark was closed, the Spirit and the presence of God would rest above that ark. That was where he was enthroned. That is where he would sit and hang out. And the, much like his presence in the garden, where he was enthroned in the garden, he, this is where he was enthroned in the Holy of Holies. This is where he sat. And the priests only went in here one day a year. And it was on the Day of Atonement. But that was, God's presence was living among his people. And this is where it hung out. It was right in this room. Now, you mentally... You've, you can picture this. Visually, you can picture the situation that we're talking about here. And we all understand that the requirements 
that the sacrifices were making was to bring us back into the presence of God. So that priest, as he's walking from the outer to the inner, to the very center, he's retracing the steps of Adam and Eve to be right back in the presence of God. And when I looked at the elements that we had that we've been talking about in these messages with the wine and the oil and the fire, there was always something that was required for these ceremonies. And all three of these things were used consistently. You can go back to that, the original slide there, Mikey. Um, wine was for the liquid offering, as we know. Olives were crushed into olive oil that was actually used for the lights um, that had to be lit 24 hours a day. And the fire to consume the proffered offering for sin, for peace, and for cleansing. There's one sacrifice, however, that is not listed or found within these three. And the time Abraham nearly sacrificed his son Isaac was a precursor for the sacrifice that God himself would ultimately make and allowing his son to die for our sins. When Jesus walked the earth, there was actually still one of these temples standing. At that time, Solomon's had been destroyed, Zerubbabel had built his and it had been destroyed, and Herod, King Herod, had erected an even bigger, crazier, shinier temple. And Jesus actually preached there a few times. Remember when he got lost when he was like 12 years old and Mary was freaking out? Well, he was in the temple about his father's business. Amen? But he didn't come for the continuation of sacrifices and for the maintaining of the temple. That is not why Jesus came. Jesus came to level up temple existence by being a new temple himself. You hear me? He even came to level up the priest game by making us a holy priesthood. You hear me? What I'm trying to draw your attention to today is that Jesus came to return us to the place of Eden, the place that we missed out on because of Adam and Eve, where we could be in relationship with God without sacrifice and without the need for a priest, but directly to and through Jesus Christ. All of the ceremonies, the cleansing, the killing, the wiping, the smearing, the burning, they had to take place for humans to be made clean. God understood that it was a bro broken and impermanent situation. It would not work forever. And we watch it fail many, many times in the Bible. He knew that the only solution was that his son would have to come, live amid his people, and be murdered for our sake on a hill not far away from where these temples stood. The elements that we've been talking about, for every single one, something was sacrificed. For wine, grapes, olives for the oil, and anything that burns for the fire. When Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, out of him poured salvation, grace, mercy, healing, provision, and the ability for us to become temples ourselves, hosting the Holy Spirit, and being in direct relationship with the one true God. Amen? When Jesus no longer is a perfect temple needed in order to host his presence, hear me, okay? Now his presence is hosted in temples in us as we are in order to make those temples perfect. We no longer need to have a perfect temple for Jesus to come and inhabit. We can be a wrecked mess 
and he comes and he makes that temple perfect. Amen? Praise God, y'all. He reversed the curse. The requirements were dropped from us and instead put on a perfect and blameless lamb. Once before required a lavish, beautiful temple as the throne of God's presence. It is tossed out and God can come and sit in the shambles of our mess and begin to build a new temple as we let him transform us. All the sacrifices that used to have to be made to get to the inner courts, to be amid the holy of holies, are now reversed. The holiest of holies has become the sacrifice. Now it's no longer a matter for us trying to get into the presence by getting into the temple, but by the presence getting into us and making us the temple. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. It's no longer about, it's no longer a matter of us trying to get into the presence by getting into the temple, but by the presence getting into us and making us his temple. The only sacrifice that's required on our part is surrender. The worship team is going to come up here and going to lead us in a song as we close out. But I want to talk about Wednesday. Can we talk about Wednesday? So Wednesday, we are going to have our last Seek Worship Night of January 2022. And if you haven't been to a Wednesday night service yet, if you haven't seen online what that situation looked like, um, this room was full. It was full. I'm not saying that there was like no room for people. This room was full. Full of what? That's right, baby. It's full of the presence of God. It's full of crying people. It was full of healed people. It was full of worship and praise and noise, and dancing, and singing, and getting undignified before the Lord. This room was full. Above all, what I saw this room full of was hearts surrendered to a new level that I had not experienced yet. The more we surrender, the more God can set us free. And I used to be really worried about becoming one of those weird Christians. I'm not worried about that no more. Um, And I don't think that you get weird if the Bible is what is making you weird. You know what I mean? We all know those Christians that are like doing some other stuff. That ain't in the Word of God. And that makes it weird. But if the Bible is your source, you're never going to be weird weird. And if the world thinks you're weird, who gives a rip? Can I get an amen? Amen. We were seeing people allowing God into their pain and experiencing unheard of joy in situations and seasons that from the outside, you you can't even imagine them being full of joy. You can't even imagine them being full of, of happiness because of what they're going through. We saw God asking people for healing themselves and experiencing relief. People allowing God to help them to forgive at a level that they had never yet descended to and seeing shackles falling off from them physically, spiritually, emotionally. People were catching the spark of wonder-working faith that will kindle the flames of revival.
And all that took place here on Wednesday. And it's going to happen again on, on Sunday. I hope very much the cry of our generation when we're asked, hey, do you want to come to the Seek Worship Night? Isn't, no, I have a spin class. Because I asked someone, and that's what I received this week. And I was like, y'all, the Holy Spirit is breaking out in this place. I get it if you can't do it every night of the week. Because I was whipped. Uh, come Thursday, I was whipped. But Wednesday night, there is no other place I'd rather be. Amen? Amen. I hope that the cry of our generation is God, yes, 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 and amen. I pray for hungry hearts in 22. I pray for open hearts in 22. I pray for surrendered hearts in 22. Letting go of our fear, letting go of our worries and our anxiety and our stress and the garbage that keeps us down and in bondage. In 22, I pray for more of him and less of us every single day. Can I get an amen? Like you mean it. Amen. All right, close your eyes. I'm going to pray over y'all. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, Father God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Jesus, that we have been liberated from the act of, of offering our sacrifices and the shedding of blood. God, that we are not worthy to stand before you, but we are made worthy because of Jesus. Not because of how good we are or how much good we do or how much we pray or how much we fast or how much money we give to the church or the, the downtrodden, God. We seek you with an open heart, God. We seek you and we surrender to you. Jesus, now more than ever, God, I pray that your spirit would move amid your people, opening hearts, challenging minds, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name, all of God's people said, amen.